You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Cam Chancellor comes up and just unloads. Number 31, clean his clock. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. Russell has time, fires down the middle. Got his man, Baldwin. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Doug Baldwin again. Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to the Seahawks Insider Podcast for your preview between the Seahawks and the Los Angeles Rams. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the Seahawks, joined by John Boyle from Seahawks.com. Hello, Jen. Hello, John. And Aaron Johannes, also from Seahawks.com. Hola. Hola. (laughs) Way to switch it up. Throw me for a loop there. It's a good thing I understood what you were saying. Let's jump into the Seahawks and what people were saying after the game against Indianapolis. We know that it evened their record at 2-2. We know that we have not seen such prolific scoring from the Seahawks since a game they played against Buffalo in 2012. But what else do we know coming out of that game, John? I think we know that the offense is it's not perfect right now, but they're, they continue to make progress, which this time of year is really what you want to see. The line, which was the biggest question mark, keeps getting better. Russell Wilson, I know he had two picks, but at least one of those shouldn't have been. You could argue maybe both. Um, otherwise, he was incredibly accurate, as Aaron pointed out earlier this week. That was his second highest completion percentage of his career. Um, just a lot of good things to build on. Third down, 10-15. We know this defense is really good. It's going to be good, especially if they can avoid some of those big plays against Tennessee. But to see the offense kind of take another step forward to me was the most important thing. But I think some people still look at it, Aaron, and they go, oh, it was the Colts. You should have done that in the first half. Does it make any difference to you that they did it in the second half and really most of that in the third quarter as compared to earlier in the game? No, to me it doesn't make that much of a difference. I mean, the thing that stands out to me is the contributions that they got on defense. I mean, you look at, like, Marcus Smith, who had a, a sack and a half and then had that forced fumble as well that Bobby obviously scooped up and ran for the end zone. And then you have Justin Coleman, who picked off a pass for the first time in his career in the NFL against his former teammate Jacoby Brissett and returned it for a touchdown. Um, that And that was basically, like, the spark of it all for them uh, to get back on the board. And then you look even at guys like Garrison Smith. Like, Garrison Smith was a, a contributor as well. He had three tackles in the game. And he was previously – I think he was inactive before this game. Um, but – I think John Snyder said in his pregame interview that they wanted to get Garrison in there on the defensive line to be more active, and that was kind of why Thomas Ross is inactive for the game. But guys like him were even contributing as well. So I think defensively, even though you know it was the Colts, it was a, it was a good game defensively and, and offensively for them to get back on track. It was crazy to see the defense come out in the second half and allow just 32 total yards, especially after the yards that the Colts put up in the first half. They didn't allow a first down in the third quarter, and you could argue that the second half would have had a different feel without this play from Russell Wilson. Four-man rush. Russell stepping up in the pocket. Has a little room. Pulls it down. He's going to go 15, 10, 5. Down to the one-yard line is he in. No call. that you knew a 23-yard touchdown run by Russell Wilson to ignite his offense but also to ignite this crowd who they were wondering what's up here with the Seahawks O. The guys in the locker room after the game were talking about Russell Wilson and the run and I think it's very fitting that that's how that drive finished the drive coming out of the locker room at halftime because he had had to do that a couple other times during the drive it's not like that was an 
easy um, scoring drive for the team. No, it wasn't the march down and just first down, second down, first down, second down. They had to, they had to convert a couple times. And, uh, you know, I, going back to the game before, it is a really good sign, though, that they twice in a row have come out of the locker room and just marched down the field and scored both times. I think that's a that's a big step for an offense that, as we talked about, has, has struggled a bit in the, sec- in the first half of games. Um, but then, yeah, that run by Russell, it's, I mean, we keep getting these reminders of what was missing last year when he can make these things happen with his legs and just how much difference he makes, not just as a passer, but as a scrambler, you know, running around that crazy 41-yarder to Tyler Lockett that he threw on the run. Those are plays we didn't see last year. The Seahawks ended up with 194 rushing yards against the Colts. That's a season high. But, Aaron, you talked about the fact that Thomas Rawls was inactive. I don't think we're going to see that for the next few weeks because, unfortunately, the Seahawks lose Chris Carson. So I guess what does that mean for everybody else? Yeah, that was – I mean, Chris Carson was obviously a big loss. And you look at the contributions that he made just in his rookie season. I mean, as a guy that was drafted late – um, that's going to be a big loss for them because as a receiving back and as a running back on the ground, he was really effective in the few games that we saw from him. But we know right now it's going to be Eddie Lacy and Thomas Ross. It's going to come down to those two guys right there. And Pete Carroll obviously said this week that they're going to split the load between those two. And these are two guys that, I mean, Eddie has been in the league for a while now. He's a veteran guy. So I think they're probably, in my opinion, I think they'll lean a little bit more towards Eddie because he is a veteran. Um, but it's going to be split between him and Thomas Rawls right now at running back. And then you can also even see J.D. McKissick uh, get some reps in there as well to continue to build off of last week where he scored two touchdowns as well. So I think right now you look at Eddie and you look at Thomas, those two guys are going to split the carries. But J.D. can also still hop right in there and continue to build off what he did last week too. Adding depth at running back was really important to this team in the offseason because of what we saw last year where Thomas Rawls got not <clears throat> got beat up. We saw Procise get hurt. They had 18 different ball carriers, and yeah, some of those are quarterbacks and receivers and all that. John but Ryan one you, time yeah, wasn't the punter. really supposed to be like that. <laughs> it was good for most of the play, but they, <laughs> you know, they went through. It was nine running backs carried the ball plus fullbacks, so 11 backs in general carried the ball. They knew that. I mean, look, ideally you have that one stud running back that carries you through 16 games, but that's hard to do at that position. That's why you go, even though they really like Thomas Rawls, you go get Eddie Lacy. You still draft a guy. And, you know, they went out and added Mike Davis, who they really like, who's on the practice squad. So they knew that, you know, we kept hearing from coaches, you know, everyone's like, well, when's Eddie Lacy going to get involved? When's Thomas Rawls going to get involved? And Tom Cable said it last week. These guys are going to be really valuable to us. And now's where we see it is, unfortunately, the injury did happen. Chris Carson's out minimum eight weeks possibly for the season. And now you, I mean, it's funny because it's really unfortunate for Carson, but it's funny that you you turn now to the two guys that we thought it was going to be all along before Chris Carson emerged and, and just grabbed a hold of that job. So they, they still feel really good about that position overall. And I think it's interesting, too, the style that Eddie Lacy runs with is different than the way Thomas Rawls runs is different, obviously, than your third down backs. And I think when we saw him week one in Green Bay, he's playing behind an offensive line that had not quite gelled, that was still a little bit in flux. And now that the offensive line has come together a little bit more, and we saw the push that they were able to get last week, that perhaps that makes everybody look a little bit better because I do think Eddie Lacy is the guy that you need a little push up front and then he's going to take care of it and he's going to bowl over four or five people in the way. Chris Carson, however, was better at getting some of that space and working, you know, in kind of some of those tight spots 
behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And the other thing with Eddie that we started to see a little bit of with him having 11 carries last week, he's a type of back who's going to get better as he gets carries. He, yep. you know, he gets his feel for the game a little bit. He puts some punishment on linebackers and the guys trying to tackle him and they wear down a little bit. And uh, he's a guy that he might get his first four carries and get two yards a carry. And you think, well, what's this all about? But then all of a sudden he's going to run a guy over and get that 19 yard gain we saw last week. So, you know, I, I think, you know, really if he can have a game that he gets some, gets some good touches, we'll start to see the guy that they were hoping to get when they signed him this offseason. And I think one thing also with Eddie, with why we saw the slow start at the beginning of the season, was like you mentioned, Jen, there was a new offensive line trying to gel. But also the Packers had a really good defense, too, and they also had a really good front seven to kind of make it difficult on him. And, and obviously Dom Capers strategized, and he played against them, he practiced against them, so he was familiar with Eddie, too. And then you look at this week, too, you're going to go up against the Rams. you got Wade, uh, Wade Phillips coaching their defense as well. So this could be another tough matchup still for Eddie as well, especially on the road. But like you mentioned, it, it does take him, as somebody who's watched a lot of Eddie from the last few years when he's in Green Bay, he does take a little bit to get started in the game. But once he gets going, I'm telling you, it's, he's a punishing guy to watch once he starts to get into the flow of the game. We'll talk about exactly what that looks like against the Rams in just a couple of minutes. But since we started the conversation with running backs with an injury to Chris Carson, he wasn't the only injury in the game. There was a couple of injuries on the defensive side of the ball. I think that's tough to say which one is bigger. But Cliff Averill, the the contributions that he can make and the way that he changes the defensive line, how does not having him in there change the defense? Or does it, given the Seahawks' depth? It, I mean, it hurt. It's look. It's a Pro Bowl defensive end, and we talk about if you start ranking the most valuable positions on the field, pass rushing defensive ends is very high on that list. So, you, you can't say losing Cliff Averill doesn't hurt. That being said, they're in better shape to handle that now than they were a year ago. Frank Clark been a hell of a player the last couple of years, and now he's going to step into a bigger role, and hopefully for him that leads to more production. But what's really going to help is you got Marcus Smith in there, a guy who you know, was kind of a cast-off former first-round pick, didn't really work out in Philly. They saw something they liked there, and he really hasn't had a chance to do a lot yet But his until last week. And then he gets that opportunity when Cliff goes down, gets a sack and a half, including one of the biggest plays of the game where he gets to the quarterback, ball comes out, Bobby Wagner turns into a running back, throws a stiff arm, and finds himself in the end zone. So they've got good depth there. You add Quentin Jefferson back to give you some more help in that rotation. But as always, one of the big concerns, even if you like your depth, if you lose one guy, is then what happens if, if another injury happens. That's where the depth really hurts you. But um, Aaron touched on this earlier, but I think just across the board defensively, they did a really good job this offseason, really at all three levels adding guys, whether you talk about guys like Garvin and Will Hoyt, who have both started at linebacker. We've seen it with Coleman in the secondary coming in to play for Lane twice now. They've really had some guys step up and make huge plays without missing a beat when guys have been hurt. Well, and it's a good thing that Coleman has that capability because Jeremy Lane was also hurt in that game with a groin injury, and that's really tough. You know, we, we've talked about this with Doug Baldwin. Those soft tissue injuries are really tough when you are playing those positions that require speed and lateral movement and your ability to push off and explode and, and just do kind of all that physical stuff in there. But I guess that's where you rely on Shaq Griffin, who has gotten some nice reps, and Coleman, who gets praised very highly and I got to be honest when I'm watching the game sometimes it's hard for me to tell unless he's getting a pick six it's hard for me to tell exactly how much he's impacting the game but boy he's he's drawn the praise of the coaches a few times already he has he's you know he's just been really solid in coverage he played a lot against Green Bay when Jeremy Lane 
arguably very questionably was ejected yes. from that game. And asked to leave. And, yes. yes. Asked, asked, <laughs> he could have said no, really. Suggested, was that formally... Strongly suggested he should be leaving <laughs> I, I, the field right now. I didn't know it was optional. Oh, I was... But yeah, I mean, he played well in that game against one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, arguably in the history of the NFL. He held up very well in that game. And, you know, you mentioned sometimes it's hard to tell without hearing from the coaches, but one good way to tell with those guys is he wasn't getting picked on. You didn't see, you know, him. He, one thing you don't want to see from a quarterback is a guy making eight tackles down the field where he's up there in the tackle total because they keep picking on him. And he that wasn't him. He played very well in that game. Yeah, Bobby Wagner still leads the team in tackles. That's exactly what you want. Yes, <laughs> middle linebacker, that's, that's what you want. And you mentioned that he has played against some experienced quarterbacks already this year. Jared Goff. I don't think we're going to put him in that category, but we are going to say that given the numbers that he's put up through the first four weeks, he has greatly improved, and it's something that Pete Carroll sees too. He's really sure of himself. Uh, the ball's coming out quick. Uh, he's utilizing the calls really well in that you know, quick game. The ball's out. Uh, he's doing a great job checking the ball down. It, evidence, uh, you know, by Todd's catches. He's got 20 catches leading the team in receptions already. Um, more efficient. They've they've only been sacked four times, you know. So everything's working really well, and, and it's fitting together. He's he's quick a quick decision guy. He gets the ball out, and um, that's playing right into I'm sure the, the way they're talking and their style. So how much better is Jared Goff, and how much Aaron is this Goff making huge strides on his own versus the fact that he's just got a new coach and new pieces around him, and he can be more effective. I think he's more comfortable going to his second year. And I, I think I look at the Rams and I look at the team that they have. They have a lot of talent. And they have – it's crazy to think. We think we remember Jared Goff. We remember Todd Gurley. You think of Aaron Donald. They also have Sammy Watkins, which is crazy to think about too. They still have him as a number one wide receiver. And he's obviously battled injuries, but he's put up a 1,000-yard season before, and he's very effective when he's healthy. So I, I look at the Rams, and I'm looking at this talent. I'm just looking at this roster. And Sean McVay, I mean, at 31 years old, has come in, and there's only two players on the Rams roster that are older than him, and that's Andrew Whitworth and Jonathan Sullivan, two veteran offensive linemen. And I think he's just done a, a really good job of just utilizing their personnel and understanding the best way to get guys the ball and the best way to make guys succeed. So he figures out ways to, to make things easy on Jared Goff, who's trying to come into the NFL and learn things. And he's he knows he has a, a guy like Todd Gurley who can – put him as a receiver he can put him in the backfield I mean Todd Gurley had 215 scrimmage yards last week including a 53-yard touchdown reception that came when he was lined up so I mean Sean McVay has done a really good job of just knowing okay I have these certain type of guys on this roster what is the best way for me to get them the ball what's the best way I can um, exploit defensive matchups on my roster and so I look at that as well and I mean when you're 31 you have guys that are similar in your like guys that are somewhat close to you I think it makes it more like relatable for the players to be like, okay, you know what? This is how I think I want to be used. Can you help me out? This is this is this is the way that I feel like I can get the ball, and this is the way I feel like I can help the offense a little bit more. So I think that helps a lot for the Rams. Yeah, it is interesting. And Jeff Fisher, the the former coach of the Rams, well, he was a long time coach in the NFL. He had a lot in his playbook, and boy, yeah. he would throw things at the Seahawks where. You just knew you were going to get something screwy, something goofy that you had to defend, that you had to be prepared for. But, John, is it that much different? Because we were looking at Jared Goff last year, and everybody thought the Rams made a huge mistake taking him number one. It's so hard for me to believe, and I get what Aaron's saying. It's just (laughs) so hard for me to believe that the numbers are what they are. No, it's crazy. I mean, this is a team that you looked at, and they just had all this defensive talent, and the offense struggled. We saw these low-scoring games between the Seahawks and Rams. (laughs) 
they're the leading scoring team in the NFL through four games. They have the second most explosive plays in the NFL behind New England, I think. It's, I mean, it's weird to see. And like Aaron said, you look at the roster and they should be good. I mean, they've got a lot of talent there. And, you know, I think maybe Jared Goff is a good reminder that we shouldn't rush to judge so quickly, especially at that position. Um, he wasn't very good last year. He did look like at the time you think, wow, this guy's the number one pick. But he, I mean, you just add a little help around him. I think adding Whitworth, a veteran left tackle, certainly helps. And then, the, I mean, you got to give a lot of credit to this coaching staff to come in and do what they did with him and with this offense as a whole where they've just, I mean, it's night and day. Now, we'll see. They they were 3-1 and one last year. It was a different feeling 3-1, and one, but... Um, you know, there's a long way to go in the season still, but it's certainly a very impressive start. Well, and you could have a very different game than we are used to playing against the Rams. I mean, look, Russell Wilson has thrown for 568 yards in his last, what, game and a half that he's played. You've got the Rams scoring points. I mean, I remember trying to ask questions about field goals. Like, there was only field goals being scored in these (laughs) games. You're like, wow, this could look really different. And if we're going to talk about the Rams, the one thing that has been consistent with them, the offense has been a little bit up and down. That defense? has always given the Seahawks problems. And Aaron Donald has been a big reason for that. And even though he says he has not played up to the level that he wants yet, Pete knows that he's a guy to keep an eye on. Really problematic. Yeah, there's just nobody like him um, quickness-wise. And and he's for a, a guy who doesn't have a big stature, he's got extraordinary strength and explosion and ability to disengage and get off. There, there's... Uh, he, he makes remarkable plays that you know, other guys can't make. And, and uh, so and you don't know what's going to happen. So it, it's really a challenge to, to play against. So what does this mean for the Rams defense? Are they good? Is he is he 100%? Where are we at? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's still coming back with that holdout. He missed a lot of time. I, he sure looks 100% from what I've seen the last probably. <laughs> the first game, he didn't look like himself. Just Not that he played poorly, but he didn't just jump out at you all the time. But now he's he's making those plays. And tell you what 80 percent Aaron Donald if, even if that's what he were and I'm not suggesting he is but that would still be pretty darn good it's an interesting defense because they have a lot of the pieces back you add bum bum Phillips or I'm sorry bums his dad <laughs> Wade, Wade Phillips Wade. <laughs> who's a great coach and you would expect that they're just going to be dominant on defense yet they've given up a lot of yards and points and big plays so I, you know, I I still would be hard-pressed to think that this isn't going to be a good defense by a year's end and probably give the Seahawks some trouble because that defensive front is so disruptive. But, yeah, I, I think there's going to be some room for the Seahawks to make plays. The first two things that stands out to me about the Rams defense is, one, I love me some Aaron Donald. Two, Wade Phillips is... <laughs> Wait a second. Time out. I don't know that I can let you continue with that if you were going to say that you love Aaron Donald. He's he really has been him. a terror. I know. You can strongly like him. Yeah. There's some guys, even when they kill your own team, that's like Larry Fitzgerald. He, I, yeah, that's true. Love Larry. All right. He's so good, right. but I it's do. like, it's yeah. hard not to just respect... I do. I love like Fitz. That. All right, fine. Remind me when we play the Cardinals, I love me some Fitz. All right, keep going. But uh, one thing is, I, I love Mr. Aaron Donald, but I, I love uh, Wade Phillips as too, Wade Phillips as a coach too. He's been one of my favorite coaches the last few years. Whether he was a defensive coordinator in Denver, when he was a head coach in Dallas, etc. Solid um, Twitter game. A very no, not even solid. Elite Twitter game in my opinion. <laughs> I think I think Wade Wait, Phillips has some. What best makes tweet. it elite? Because I'm trying to up my game. Like what makes Twitter elite? You know what? I, I think what makes I think specific for like Wade Phillips or a coach, it makes you elite, is that 
even if it's more about your efficiency, right? Not about the quanti- quantity of tweets, but when the quality of them. So, like, every now and then he'll tweet, but when he does, they're, like, really, really good tweets, you know? Like, stuff like that. It's like, that, that's the stuff that I value the most. And it's not, you know, a lot of people in the NFL take themselves pretty seriously when you get to that level of head coach and coordinator and all that. And he doesn't on Twitter. It's fun. He, yeah. he has fun with it. He yeah. gets some good self-deprecating humor on there. Yeah. So, and you know, there's something to be said for older guys on Twitter who who know how to make it work. Yeah. So what you're saying is to up my game, I have to become older. Get old, yes. And tweet less. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Got it. Noted. But what else is he doing with this Rams defense (laughs) right now? That's quite a tangent. I I apologize. Son of Bum, by the way, if you'd like to to follow. At Son of Bum. Bum. We're we're giving him a free promo on his Twitter account. I know. Ah. That's true. But he's also doing something else with the defense and changing it up quite a bit. Yeah. So the Rams have had a 4-3 defense for more than like the last decade. And now they've converted out to a 3-4, which is Wade Phillips' signature defense. So they've had to move a couple of different players. So Robert Quinn, who's been a long-time defensive end for them, has been really good. Um, he's had to convert to a linebacker. And then you look at like LaMarcus Joyner, who was a cornerback um, that they had, they drafted. And now he's converted now to safety. So they've had to move like a, diff- a, a couple of different guys now to kind of fit their mold. They brought in Connor uh, Barwin as well. And uh, some other different guys that he used to coach when he was in Denver as well. So they've had to do a lot of different things on defense and whatnot. But now switching to a 3-4, um, that's the main thing that's really different about this defense. But, I mean, you look today, like we looked at Bobby or uh, Russ when they were asked about it in the press conference today. It, said it, doesn't, it doesn't really change that much for them that they're switching to a 3-4 because they still have that much talent on the defensive side of the ball. So um, that's one thing I look at a lot that's different about their defense is they now have a 3-4 with Wade Phillips who's, Aggressiveness is a really good defensive coordinator. So that's one thing that you know, I think about right away, and it's he's a great coach. So, I mean, it's going to be hard to game plan against a guy like him too. I wonder how it's going to impact the routes that our receivers run this week. I mean, that's just a random tangent <laughs> that I could go on about route running. But anyway, here's what we're going to end it on this week. The Seahawks are 22-6 and six in games played prior to the bye week. Woot, woot. Already to the bye week. It comes well, up after fast. this one, no, I know. It so just, let's yeah, look to make it me. twenty-three and six. That's what we're going to go out on. Bye week is much more enjoyable off a of W. Isn't oh it? my gosh, so much better last off of a W. Last year's was way too early, in my opinion. The bye week, early. yeah, it was way too early. Yeah, it was a little. Yeah, especially because I, th- I. This I, is a yeah. week difference, so it, it does feel a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, because we can go into the bye week with a winning record this year, so that would be lovely, really hard. good. So. Hard. That is going to do it for this week's edition of Seahawks Insiders. Thanks for joining us. Make sure that you check out everything that Aaron and John have to offer on Seahawks.com. And I'd so love it if you listened to the broadcast on Sunday through the Seahawks radio network. We'll see you next time.